0: All right, thanks for joining me everyone. Charles Moskowitz, Monday through Friday, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I want to, first of all, thank TECN TV, the exceptional conservative network out of Washington, D.C., for carrying the program live. A shout out to owner Ken McClanton. Uh, they've got an excellent lineup over there. And if you'd like to chat, of course, you could do that at rumblecom Moskowitz. My guest is Dr. E. Michael Jones. He's the editor and publisher of The Culture Wars. He's the author of a whole shelf of amazing books, including Degenerate Moderns, my favorite, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, uh, Libido Dominandi, and more recently, Logos Rising. Uh, Dr. Jones, thanks for joining me as always. Thank you, Charles. Good to be here. Okay, so I want to start out right out of the out of the gate by by talking about the late Pope Benedict XVI, uh, Father Joseph Ratzinger, he held the office of Pontiff, which of course is the world's oldest religious office. According to the Talmud, it goes back to the days of King Solomon. So Pontifex Maximus, founded in the ancient kingdom of Rome. And he had some interesting observations with regard to Jewish Catholic relations that are published posthumously. So let's start with your commentary on that.
1: Well, I think before we, we get into the, the last book, we need a little background on uh, uh, Joseph Ratzinger. He was born in 1927, uh, 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 right at the beginning of a momentous period in German history. Uh, He was, as a teenager, by the end of the war, he was uh, inducted into the army in an absolutely hopeless uh, position. Uh, A a gun that would not, probably wouldn't fire. It was just a a way of getting killed. He survived miraculously, but even more miraculously, he was uh, captured by, or surrendered to uh, Patton's army rather than Eisenhower's army. If he had surrendered to Eisenhower's army, he he probably wouldn't have survived or chances were a lot slimmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patton basically did not hold any grudges against the German people, uh, treated them like soldiers, and they were let go by. So by the the um, uh, let's say the spring of uh, forty seven, he's back in the seminary. But unfortunately, the rest of Germany was not doing so well uh, at this time because this was the the winter of 46, 47 is known as Das Hungerjahr in German history. And this was uh, largely as a result of the Morgenthau plan. Mm -hmm. Yes, Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's uh, Jewish secretary of state uh, was determined to uh, deindustrialize Germany and uh, with the understanding that uh, Germany could not feed itself without industry and that 20 million Germans would die. Morgenthau was in many ways the most benign of the plans that the Jews had cooked up for Germany, there was Theodor Kaufmann who uh, wrote a book called "Germany Must Perish," uh, in which he recommended the sterilization, the forced sterilization of the German people, and then having the men sent into slavery. Uh, Louis Neiser, another Jew lawyer, uh, also had similarly draconian uh, understanding of this—the uh, way the Germans should be treated. Uh, this did not work sit well. With the uh, powers, the other powers in the Roosevelt administration. Roosevelt was on his deathbed; uh, he had already died uh, at this point, but was on his deathbed when the Morgenthau Plan was being formulated. He kind of gave approval. It's hard to tell whether whether he knew what he was doing because he was not he was not well. Uh, kind of gave his approval, but when the word got out, the rest of the cabinet were scandalized. Mm-hmm. They were saying that this is the. Uh, this is submitting vengeance. Uh, Patton was part of the people uh, uh, appalled at the way the German people were being treated. Right. And eventually, eventually, this view prevailed, uh, and the Morgenthau Plan was replaced by the Marshall Plan. The Marshall Plan was uh, obviously benign compared to the Morgenthau Plan, but it it was it, uh, it its intention was to cripple the German people in another way. So you had the currency reform of forty eight. And then you had uh, basically money flooding into Germany. Loans were available because the WASP elite at this point wanted to build up Germany as a bulwark against uh, Soviet communism. Uh, okay. and, uh, uh, this was uh, Harry Dexter White was a uh, mm. uh, Morgenthau's assistant. He was a Jew. Right. He, he was a communist.
0: And he was actually the author of the plan, by the way. Right. Yes, he was. Uh,
1: and, and, uh, uh, there, there's speculation that this was deliberate. Uh, d- in other words, to make the situation so bad for the German people that they would welcome the Soviet army.
0: Exactly. exactly. With, yes. with, o-
1: with open arms uh, as an alternative to the Americans. I think the, the elites uh, knew that and they, they did it. But there was, it, it didn't, ch- it, and so the, the, the method changed, but uh, the end was still the subjugation of the German people, this time by psychological warfare. And that meant the control of information, and that meant that basically at this point after the currency reform, any anyone that wanted to publish a book, magazine, play, uh, film, whatever, had to get a license from a Jewish psychiatrist from New York City by the name of David Mordecai Levy. And they had to lie down on the couch and talk about how guilty they felt about, uh, about uh, what had happened. Uh-huh. Now, Right. So at this point, uh, you, these the press comes in, and at this point, you had a concerted effort to overturn the obscenity laws in Germany.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: this was uh, the the American the, the Americans in charge view this as a free speech issue. Uh, the the Germans, in particular, the, the de facto head of the Catholic Church in Germany. Uh, the Cardinal Frings of Cologne reviews as an attack on the moral fiber of the German people, and, and they had their own organization, uh, the Volkswart Bund, uh, uh, which was analogous to the Legion of Decency, which is the group that imposed the uh, uh, production code on the Jews in Hollywood in 1933. So they're exactly right. analogous. Uh, Both of them were uh, agents of the Catholic Church. And so they uh, started a battle on what they were calling schmutz und schund, uh, basically filth and smut. Uh, And there were, you know, uh, Frings basically stood up for the German people. He said, during the depths of the Hungerjahr, 46, 47, he said, you can take money, uh, take money. You can take food if there's a warehouse there and your family is starving. You can take coal from the coal train. If you don't have enough heat, and it's not theft, and now all of that zeal was dedicated to fighting obscenity. Now, problem here is that Frings is an old man. He's getting—he's old. Born in the 1880s, okay, and now he's getting older. At this point, the, the church announces there's going to be a second Vatican Council, and he's got to go, and uh, he needs help. He's first of all he's blind, okay, he can't see. Uh, he's fragile, and so he goes to this uh, lecture in 1959 by the rising star of German theology is Joseph Ratzinger. Mm-hmm. Gives a speech and presses the yeah. hell out of Frings. Frings says, I want you to go to, to um, Rome with me. You can be my paritas. You can be my assistant. So he goes there. And at this point, you had one of those biggest changes in the history of the church in the 20th century. Because when he showed up there, there was a plan, and it was written by Cardinal Ottaviani, who was the right hand man of Pius XII. And uh, he was as old as uh, Frings. Uh, and the plan was basically there's, the church has a problem. And it was, I've read the preliminary documents, they're called the preliminary documents. And in him, he basically talked about, you know, yeah, th- there's a threat from communism but there's also a threat from America. And we're kind of like the grain between two millstones being ground into dust. Classic example of what I'm talking about would be uh, Fellini's film, La Dolce Vita. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 Ottaviani, I'm sure saw the film. Everybody at the Vatican saw that film. And it was an expression of uh, basically, you know, uh, Anita Eckberg is playing Jay Mansfield. She's undermining the morals of the, the Italian men. And uh, the, the church has to do something about. Well, Rothenberg comes and he's now saying it's too negative, and he's gathering all the support. Now I'm saying that he was influenced by the social engineering that was ruthlessly unleashed on the German people at that time. I'm saying if you're 20 years old, you got to know whether you're hungry or not, right? And you know whether other people are hungry, and you know the reason you're hungry is because of the Morgenthau Plan, and you know that house a Jew, but you can't say it now, because now uh, you've got this burden this laid on you called the Holocaust, you know, and we're all guilty and blah blah. The German people are guilty and blah blah blah. So, what Rostier does is basically throws out the preliminary documents. Puts in new documents that are positive. No more of this negative stuff. Well, guess what? The quintessential he, he mentioned two things that were negative. Pius the tenth's modern anti-modernist oath and Pius IX syllabus of errors. And this is not the way to go anymore. We want to be open. We, got, the church has nothing to fear from the modern world. That's a statement out of uh Gaudium Spez. Well, as a matter of fact, the church had a lot to feel, fear from the modern world. And this is precisely what Ottaviano was trying to say, because he had some understanding that there was a kind of psychological warfare being waged against the church. Well, these two things happened at the same time. So at the very moment Ratzinger throws it, we're talking about November of 1964, the very moment Ratzinger throws out the preliminary documents, creates this new uh, uh, idea, new path through the church, is the very moment that uh, the obscenity code, the obscenity laws were broken in Germany. This was a collaborative effort. There were three guys who were involved in it. Ingmar Bergman, it was his film. It was called The Silence. Olaf Palmer, who ended up being prime minister of uh, Sweden and then was murdered. And Harry Schein, Harry Schein. Does that sound like a Swedish name to you? It was an Austrian Jew who came and worked together with these three guys and Hollywood because Hollywood wanted to break the code at exactly the same time. So it's kind of like an international conspiracy here to break the production code, and uh, they succeeded in Germany. It didn't succeed uh, in America because foreign films just don't have that impact in, in, in Hollywood. So it succeeded one year later in Hol- in America with the production of The the Pawnbroker which is a Holocaust porn film, basically a code breaker because they had a woman taking off her shirt and had bare breast on the screen. So that sets the thing. I'm saying that Germany never recovered, never, never recovered because what you had was the collapse of sexual morality in Germany the replacement of guilt the guilt you feel if you commit adultery for example or you you engage in homosexual activity or something like that now it's all been superseded by guilt uh, over the holocaust and so if you if you kind of uh, o- offer incense up to the holocaust you I will the, the we you will be absolved of your guilt which is the real source of your guilt which is sexual sin i'm saying that's That's what happened. That's what led up to the situation today, today. And I'm saying the main reason that the Germans can't face up to the fact that the the United States blew up their pipeline. By the way, Seymour Hearst just published that article today. The Mm -hmm. Americans blew up the pipeline. They they won't even ask the question. This this lady, they won't even ask. They won't even. Yeah, I know. Give the Jew credit. Okay. Uh, the uh, the lady, the, the foreign minister won't even ask the question because they've all been turned into sex robots and zombies because of that crucial decision. So that's my that's kind of the background. Okay, I'm talking about the background to this article. Now the article came out posthumously, which I think is significant. Mm-hmm. It's as if this man is haranguing us from the grave here, and it's full, I think. Uh, of an attempt to basically justify his policy in the light of what I have to say was spectacular failure. What exactly
0: did he say, Mike, I mean, uh, about Jewish-Catholic relations? Okay, so
1: this thing specifically, first thing he says, uh, uh, Christian anti-Semitism led to the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. one statement, okay. He'd never said that before. For for years, I'm talking about for years, he would say whenever the Holocaust came up, he would say, well, it was, uh, Nazism was a neo-pagan ideology. So but, don't, blame, don't blame it on the church. Okay, now that's completely changed here. There's complete capitulation to basically Jules Isaac, first guy who mm-hmm. talked this way, sure. had a huge influence on the Catholic yeah. church. Daniel Mm -hmm. Jonah, Goldhagen, who else? Uh, Misha Brumlich. There there are too many people. There's a standard kind of Jewish
0: idea. And he's capitulated to it. Okay. Uh, Michael, let me me just get in a little bit here. First of all, um, the Morgenthau plan was presented at the Quebec Conference in November of 1944 uh, by Harry Dexter White. Morgenthau was one of these nincompoops. He really didn't know what was going on. He was a friend of Roosevelt. But it was really Harry Dexter White who was the brainchild behind that plan. And he had been identified later by several people, including Whitaker Chambers, as a communist operative inside the Roosevelt administration. I would argue that the plan was to pasteurize Germany so that the Soviet Union could walk in and take over Europe. Um, I agree
1: agree with you. I think And
0: also it was never implemented. It was rejected immediately by Congress. And by anybody who had a half a brain and saw that this was completely wrong and and, and to be rejected. Now, as far as Father, now Rock- wait
1: a stop, stop. It was implemented. The fact of the matter was that the Germans were being starved to death. The simple fact of the matter was that there were there was food in warehouses all across Germany, and the army was told not to let the German people have this food. So it was implemented whether it was more whether you're going to talk about uh-huh. the letter of the law it was implemented and more over more than that okay one of the men one of the men who was in at the inception of this plan was Dwight D Eisenhower and he implemented it in a, a, a war crime that is, now goes by the name of the Rhine visa the Rhine Meadows camps where he deli- he first of all he would not declare the, the, the soldiers he captured, prisoners of war. He refused to do that because then he was, would have to follow the Geneva Convention. He put right. them out on these meadows, put a fence around them, and simply let them starve to death. The, the controversy here is how many starved to death. There's no point in getting into that number. Box says it was a million people say, it, it, a number of areas, but there's irrefutable evidence that Eisenhower did do this. This was... He was in on the beginning. This was an implementation of the Morgensau plan.
0: Okay. I mean, look, after the war in Europe, there was, there was not a lot of food and there was pretty much starvation <clears throat> throughout Europe. Eisenhower may have implemented aspects of it temporarily because I think he was concerned about making sure that the Nazi movement didn't reemerge in Europe. I mean, it's easy to second guess in retrospect, but I want to bring things up to Father Ratzinger. I view his comments from what I've heard as proof that there is a God. I think that this shows God's agency on earth because he softened the heart of the Pope uh, toward the Jews. Um, the, which, which, which Pope are you talking about now? I'm talking about Pope uh, Benedict.
1: So that, he what, no, he did. Okay, I, I thought you were referring to another Pope. Okay, when he was Pope.
0: Yes, and that, but you know, he obviously didn't share this to that degree when he was alive. Now, was was Christian anti-Semitism responsible for the Holocaust? No, but it was part of it. There was a certain level of uh, of involvement in it. This idea that the Jew is collectively to be condemned because of alleged involvement in the execution of Jesus two thousand years ago. I would argue that his views on on Judaism are a miracle. I mean, I think that this is good coming out of evil. You know, the Torah tells us, gives us the story of Joseph and that his brothers threw him into a snake pit, which was evil and they they wanted him killed. There's a series of events in which he ends up becoming essentially prime minister of Egypt, saves the Egyptian people and saves the children of Israel by the the brothers going down to get food and realizing that it was their brother and they threw themselves on the ground. And he said, look, out of evil came good. God has a way of converting evil events into good events. And this is what's happened. Now, the good events coming out of the evil, which was the Nazi Holocaust against the Jews, I would argue were two things. The first one, and you obviously, I don't think you agree with me on this, was the ingathering of the exiles and the establishment of the Jewish Commonwealth in 1948. The second thing to come out was the fact that the Roman Catholic Church, which had been, I don't want to say an enemy, but it had been anti-Jewish up until that point, had a change of heart. And I think that came about because of a sense of guilt. Not that they were involved in guilt for the Nazi Holocaust, they weren't specifically, in fact they saved a lot of Jews actually by helping uh, bring Jewish children into convents and and probably saved up to a million Jews. They did a lot more than than other other churches and other nations. But I think there was a sense that this idea of collective guilt and and that you know seeing the Jew as as evil that that this did play a role and that this was wrong. And so thus I think that God, that uh, Pope Benedict was expressing a sentiment that was originally found and expressed in the Vatican II, and by uh, Pope John the who, uh, by the way, saved a lot of Jews when he was the uh, cardinal in Romania. And so I look at this as as miraculous, frankly. Yeah. Well, I
1: yeah. I, first of all, I, I I agree with you. The the uh, I agree. It's obvious the state of Israel was a result of uh, what happened yes. in World War II whether uh, I, you think it's a good thing, I think it's a bad thing. Uh, but the, the other thing is that uh, I, I, I'm i agreeing, yeah, we're both saying that something happened in Germany at the time. I'm trying to contextualize it by saying it was social engineering. And I'm trying to say that uh, what that basically the, the, the church, the church was anti-Jewish. There's absolutely no question this, about it. Yeah, no, exactly. Fr- from the beginning, it was anti-Jewish but the church has never been anti-Semitic. It cannot possibly be anti-Semitic because anti-Semitism is a racial term, okay? And it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It cannot explain what happened at the time of the crucifixion because basically at that time, everyone had the same DNA. It was a civil war among the Jews over the identity of Jesus Christ. So you have to eliminate the whole idea of racism and anti-Semitism. It doesn't make sense. So if you no, want to no. say, but if, now this is precisely the problem here, because this is the sleight of hand that got imposed on the church. In uh, *Nostra Aetate* is the document on the Jews, and in that document, the Church says the Church opposes all forms of anti-Semitism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've just told you <laughs> there is no such thing no, as Christian no. anti-Semitism. But wait, what I'm trying here is. They, they proclaimed this in a document, and they didn't define what, what they were talking about. Now, if you're talking about the church, the church uh, is anti-Jewish, I agree with you. If you're saying it's anti-Semitic and you don't define the term, then you're putting a burden on the church uh, known as, let's say, let's call it what it is, the ADL. So what are you saying? That the church now has to, whatever the ADL says is anti-Semitism, the church has to follow that? No, that's preposterous. And that's precisely the problem. It comes down to a definition of this term. That's the problem. And you can't, so so when Ratzinger Ratzinger says Christian anti-Semitism, he's completely capitulating to this social engineering construct and laying a burden on the Catholic Church, the entire Catholic Church, which is a big operation, like like my nun friend from uh, Kenya, uh, or, or what did she have to do with the Holocaust? Nothing. But now she's got this burden on her because of this basically misinterpretation of a document that never clarified one of its fundamental terms.
0: Well, look, I mean, you're quite right, uh, Dr. Jones, that and the term anti-Semitism was coined in the late 19th century at, on racial terms uh, by this... Uh, You know, this German Enlightenment figure, Wilhelm think. Wilhelm Marr. Thank you. But the point is that the term has, like a lot of terms in history, it's changed in meaning as time has gone on and due to English usage to mean generally a combination of anti-racial anti-Semitism and anti-Judaism. I mean, I think when you say anti-Semitism today, you're not just talking about people who don't like the Jewish people based on DNA, based on race. And there is this whole school of thought that the Ashkenazi Jews, by the way, racially are not actually Jews, which has been disproven and debunked. But
1: it's also It has, it has to, first of all, they are not they, are, they the, the the Genome Project, as reported by the National National Geographic, says that the Ashkenazi are a Turkic race. They are not Semitic.
0: I read that, Michael. I read that article, and it says nothing of the kind. With due respect, what it says is that both Jews and Arabs have certain uh, racial and DNA ancestry that is connected to the Canaanites, and that in fact the Jews of Eastern Europe they moved west when Kazimierz the Great of Poland welcomed them in, and that for example, you you mean they moved east. I mean, (laughs) he's, thank you. And that the language that they predominantly use, Yiddish, is predominantly a Germanic dialect with some admixture of French and Hebrew and Slavic. It is no Turkic element to it. So linguistically and also genetically, there's been plenty of research done on this that find that the Ashkenazic Jews, and, and I count myself among them, don't have Turkic background. It, it, the background goes to Europe and it goes to the Middle East. So putting that aside, because I'm bringing it up only because the, the question is anti-Jewish attitudes. That's the category here. Right, and, and it, if, if
1: this, if, is irrele- uh, this is irrelevant to my whole story. It's completely okay. irrelevant because right, I, my story has nothing to do with DNA. It has to do with a spirit that came into existence when the Jews uh, killed Christ.
0: Right. That's right. That is your contention. And I think that contention has been rejected by most Christian churches and by the Roman Catholic Church. And I view that as a miracle because the idea of... First of of all, it hasn't been
1: rejected. It's in Nostra Tate. It's in Nostra Tate. They make qualifications, but they do say that the Jews killed Christ. It's in the scripture. We can't get around it. There's no point arguing with this Acts of the Apostles. We We have to understand the reality of the situation. Acts of the Apostles, fundamental document for the Catholic faith. Peter, a Jew, goes to Jerusalem after the Pentecost. He says to the Jewish people, you killed Christ. The Jewish people are cut to the heart. They say, what must we do to be saved? Peter said, you have to be baptized. That's the whole story. The Catholic Church, I don't care whether... You can have 20 popes they cannot change the fundamental document of the Catholic faith, which is the, an apostolic church. That's the story. That's okay. what we have to deal with.
0: Now, Michael, when you say that the Jews killed Christ, are you suggesting that the Jews, the Judeans at the time, that they believed that Christ was God and that and they wanted to kill God? They wanted to kill Christ. They didn't like him.
1: Well, they did not yeah, the first community. first of all, first of all, if you're talking about uh, Jesus Christ as God, uh, it took Christian centuries to come up with an accurate formulation of the Trinity. So uh, right. if it took the Christian centuries, obviously the people at the time of Christ are going to have all kinds of ideas. The, what I'm saying the Jewish people killed Christ. That's what I mean when I say the Jews. The Jewish people are an organized entity, political entity that is run by the Sanhedrin. It's run by major Jewish organizations now. It's a political entity that mobilizes the Jews. It doesn't mean that every single Jew shouted, crucify him. This is obviously not the case. The Blessed Mother did not shout, crucify him. St. John, the beloved disciple, did not shout, crucify him. There were many Jews who were followers of Christ at that point. So obviously that is not what we mean by the Jewish people. When I say this, it's not every single Jew. That's clear, right?
0: Look, it is clear. And I don't think most Jews even knew who he was at the time. I mean, there were people, thousands of people being executed by the Romans in, in Judea at that time. Um, and that it was but actually, the, 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 wait a minute, the, the Jews had no authority to kill anybody, by the no, way. No, that's
1: true. I agree with that. They, Rome, they had yeah. to get the Romans to kill them. But they, right. ratif- they ratified the death, first of all, by choosing Barabbas when they were offered Christ. And then they said, according to St. Matthew's gospel, his blood be on us and our children. Now, I, I know the Jews don't like that. Back- I don't think, yeah, I don't think I, I, that. I went. I went through when when Mel Gibson's play came out. They had three Jews organized at Notre Dame organized a debate, uh, uh, and the big debate is: Did Mel Gibson say this? If he did, he was an anti-Semite. Well, the question is not whether Mel Gibson said it. The question is: Did Matthew say it? And he did say it. And I know Jews don't like it, but that that's the we we have to come to some type of understanding of the foundational text here
0: because we can't move beyond them. No matter, okay, much, so, um, how, no matter how much Jewry is. I'm not disputing that that's in the book of Matthew, which was written right. quite a number of decades, if not a half a century after the crucifixion. What I'm suggesting is that it was written at a time when there was an enormous amount of conflict between the early church and the Jews, and that there were some very nasty things written from both sides including the Jewish side, about Jesus. There's no question about that. And that this does not comport with Jewish understanding. I mean, in the Torah and in the writings, the Jews never view people as being held guilty for the crimes of their fathers and grandfathers. In fact, quite the opposite, if you take a look literally at the Torah. So this idea, I I certainly acknowledge is there, but it's not something that, I think it's something that was perhaps entered into the text after the fact due to the conflicts that were going on and that there were some rather nasty things on both sides that were entered in.
1: All right, all we can say, all we can say it's a canonical text. This is what I have to believe. I'm not saying it's irrational, but I'm saying I have to believe this. This is part of the Catholic faith. And I'm saying if part of the dialogue is to somehow get around this text, then forget it. The dialogue's worthless. And this is precisely my point about Catholic Jewish dialogue of, of the sort that has taken place for the 50 years after the end of the Second Vatican Council, and for which I'd say Ratzinger was largely responsible. It was a, a disaster. It was, a, a at best, a waste of time. Even the Vatican had to conclude that it didn't really lead to anything productive or didn't fulfill the hopes that it had at the beginning.
0: Well, look, I'm not asking you to, to back away from the, the canonical text, and there are certain some things in Judaism, and especially the Talmud, where you have these extremely, voice, vociferous debates on all sides of an issue that, you know, they they make me uncomfortable. But you have to view it in the context of the times, and that I think that you know to, to say that that a, pe- a group of people two thousand years later are uh, to be condemned for this is, is is it just it's wrong and it's it's against the principle of collective. Well, that, guilt, which that is a
1: yeah, I, that's why I wrote The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, because I think okay. there is a continuity from that moment when the Jews killed Christ to this day. And I've said it before, but basically they chose revolutionaries. Jesus Christ is the Logos incarnate. When you rebel against the Logos, you become a revolutionary, and that's Jewish identity to this day.
0: Well, first of all, the Jewish people, I mean, uh, you in, and their walk with God going back, centuries, if not a half a millennia or a thousand years before Jesus, were developing Logos. You know, the Torah is Logos. It is the rules of engagement for man. It's how men and how nations, how God expects us to interact with each other. It's the setting up and the establishment of reason that goes all the way back to Adam. I and mean, this is the great Jewish contribution to, to the world. Now, the Greeks also contributed Logos, but the difference is that the Greeks didn't have God as the center of Logos. It was more of a secular presentation, which meant that it did not have the moral and ethical content that the Jewish contention has. And it's that content and it's that covenant that the Jewish people, for better or for worse, and we've often strayed, have, have observed every generation from that time until today. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't revolutionary Jews, I mean, and they are Jews. By the way, I've heard you say a number of times that I claim that Leon Trotsky is not a Jew. I never said that, he was a Jew. His mother was a Jew, he was a Jew. But he was also an atheist and he was a revolutionary. And he was, I would suggest, heretical toward Judaism in the same way that maybe Jan Hus was heretical toward Catholicism.
1: Look, I agree with you. I agree with you. If by Judaism, you mean the Torah, you're right. But the problem now is you've got uh, 400 Jewish organizations saying abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. That is not compatible with the Torah. So, what you have here look, if the Jews were faithful to the Torah, we wouldn't be having this discussion. That is precisely the problem. It is precisely the problem that Ratzinger fell into this illusion that somehow today's Jews are Torah worshiping Hebrews. They are not, they are revolutionaries. Gay marriage abortion pornography and so on and so forth these are the things that the jews are promoting now and th- that's not the torah
0: some jews and also I, I would i would take issue with you on your claim that 400 jewish organizations have said that abortion is a jewish ritual or a jewish rite what they have claim, said claim what the number or or the the fact the, I, the number? I, let me let me explain here What they have said, with the exception of a couple of radical outliers, which I'll grant you, is that they believe that a woman's right to choose an abortion is important. They didn't say that they weren't endorsing abortion itself, they weren't saying that they weren't condoning abortion. What and by the way, Jewish law, excuse me, Jewish law. It's more liberal than the Christian presentation, I agree. It's not at conception, it's at 40 days, which is the years of wandering in the desert. And that was a consensus that was arrived at in the Middle Ages by a group of rabbis who met for several years and debated this issue. But Jewish law nevertheless says that abortion is not permitted unless the life of the mother is at risk. And so maybe we are a little bit more liberal in that way, Than the Roman Catholic Church, which views life beginning at conception. But it doesn't mean that we're condoning abortion and that these organizations, when they said that a woman's right to choose is another matter, they weren't condoning abortion any more than Mario Cuomo was condoning abortion. And uh, and, and Nancy Pelosi were condoning abortion when they said that they recognized a woman's right to choose, even though it ran against their principles as Catholics. First of all, Jewish law, whatever it is, is completely irrelevant.
1: The Jew, the it's majority rules here. You've already said that Trotsky was a Jew. Jew Trotsky was a Jew. He, he had contempt for Jewish uh, observers. That's exactly the situation we're in right now. You're talking about the majority, as far as I can tell, of Jews who hold the Torah in contempt. They're no less, Jews than, Look, they're no less Jew. Jews than you are. They're no less Jews than you are. I've, I had yeah. I had a guy, this I had this experience here at uh, met a professor Jewish professor at IUSB the Indiana University here in town. Mm. I started talking about uh, Norman Podhoretz and the Black Jewish Alliance. You know his famous essay "My Negro Problem and Ours." Okay, he says to me, Norman Podhoretz is a schmuck. Okay, right. So I so I said, well, yeah, yeah, but 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 he's an important schmuck. I think this is what we should change the vocabulary here. He was one of the so founders
0: of modern conservatism.
1: So, so what I'm saying here is, don't say he's not a Jew, or don't say he doesn't represent Jewish law or whatever it is. Just say he's a schmuck, and, and then we can proceed that way. You know, well, I well, can you see can that.
0: Argue that he's a lousy Jew, basically, because he's not but really a believer. A no, lot of these people no, don't believe in God. No, he's a very good Jew, a devout Jew. Supports well, abortion. Not. A devout Jew no, is I, I a devout that. a devout Jew now is in that. rebellion against that. the Torah. They do not support abortion. They support a woman's right no, to you're, you're have arguing No, you're, this is you're an arguing
1: against reality.
0: Charles. This is an important. This this is, is important distinction, uh, Michael. This is they support a right to abortion. They're not telling people to go out and have abortions. They recognize that abortion's wrong unless the life of the mother's at risk. But we're going to be going on a merry-go-round on this, let's let's just move on to, 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 to another subject. So, you know, um, look, I mean, I, I would tend to agree with you that most Jews are liberal today and they have forgotten the walk with God. You know, I mean, this has been a struggle within the Jewish people since the days of, uh, when they set up a golden calf at the foot of Sinai at the moment when- Absolutely. We the highest level of spirituality. But right. it's also a microcosm of the same struggle between all of humanity. I mean, the Roman Catholic Church today, most professing Catholics are probably liberal, although the Catholic Church has an advantage over Judaism in that you have a pope and you have an, a, a college of cardinals and you have a structure, so you can't just go out and make it up. <laughs> you have to, in a sense, it's it's well-defined, although I kind of wonder about the present pope, quite frankly, right. and, and whether or not he's actually you know, Catholic, but that's that's not my business. The the point I'm making is that that uh, Judaism doesn't have that kind of internal structure. So you have right, I agree with more you. more vulnerability toward this kind of corruption and this kind of heresy. And that I think that largely, at least in the American uh, faith, the the left has taken over the high ground of our institutional life. And I think that's changing. I think there's a Jexit movement. I'm actually writing a book right now about it the exit, the Jewish exit, the American Jewish exit from the left, in that we are, again, becoming aware of our basic values of, of Judaism and of what it is that made Judaism a vibrant and dynamic force in, of, for good in the world. And 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 that is, I think, the backbone of much of the morality of the world. You know, the belief. All in right, faith- let, let, let
1: me try and uh, s- explain it as I see it. Okay, You have existence and you have essence. Okay. they are two different things. So you can say, you can say, uh, dogs have four legs and I can say, no, that's not true. I just saw a dog that had three legs. Does that mean it's false to say a do- dogs have four legs? No, that's essence. And the three-legged dog is existence. You understand what I'm saying? I so when it, when it comes to the Jews, the essence, and I think this is what Ratzinger would say, the essence would be the Torah. This is your identity as God's chosen people. Indeed. Now, does that mean you have to follow that? No, yes. you don't. No, you don't because you, don't you have, have free to. will. You, you, no, you, you, obviously you, you, have, you have free will. And so what yeah. you have now is existence. And existence is 400 Jewish organizations say abortion is a fundamental Jewish value this is the dichotomy that Ratzinger simply could never figure out. It's not the first time this is during the era of the Puritans in England. They had this illusion that Jews, there were no Jews in England at the time. They didn't have any empirical basis for the judgment, but they said a priori, these are the Hebrews of the old Testament until this guy Puritan Oldenburg writes to them from Germany where there were a lot of Jews and said, if you think this, you're crazy. And as a result, that they didn't get in Cromwell didn't let them in so I'm saying this is the, the the in a sense what is what is your destiny uh you the destiny as the chosen people you can accept God on his terms what is the reality you can live in rebellion against your destiny and you can say all the type of stuff you can be like Sarah Silverman Sarah Silverman said whatever she hears about restrictions on abortion she wants to go out and eat a fetus. She was she says, speaking
0: as a Jew, or she was speaking as a as a comedian, as an individual?
1: Well, it certainly wasn't funny, so I assume she's no. speaking as a Jew. She also said, now this is more specifically that's Jewish, but but she also said if I had to do it again, I'd kill Christ. So this is this is the type of rebellion that I'm talking about, and it would be foolish to simply ignore the actual reality. That's precisely the problem that I see in Ratzinger's. Catholic-Jewish dialogue, he's dealing with an illusion, with a category of his mind rather than the reality, the actual reality of the situation.
0: Well, I mean, look, the reality of the situation, as I just said, is that the the predominant controlling element within the Jewish faith, at least in the United States, is liberal, left-leaning, atheistic, amoral. It's not... uh, You know, they have forgotten the mission, the the method, the actual essence of the Jewish faith, which is the covenant of of, of Sinai, the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the belief, the walk with God, and all of the moral and ethical precepts that accompany that. That's the essence. That is still the strain that survives. That has not gone away. That is still actually growing in many ways, uh, I think, both in Israel and in the United States. And that, and that hopefully in the future, people like Sarah Silverman are going to be the outliers. It's not going to be an easy thing, but I think that Jewish men and women are waking up to the true nature of their belief well, and their from, essence, and that should be supported.
1: Well, from your mouth to God's ear. And then if right. the Jews all follow the Torah, we won't have any problems. But right now, we have a problem, Houston. We've got a problem because God. these Jews are making everybody's life miserable. And there's going to be a reaction. It's building already. And whenever it builds, you know, there's another uh, le- uh, uh, press release from the ADL, spike in anti-Semitism. Well, maybe maybe they should look into Jewish behavior. May- has that ever occurred to these people? Maybe the main cause of anti-Semitism is Jewish behavior. Have you thought of that, Mr. Greenblatt? Before you start to now look at look at what this guy just did with Kanye West and Kyrie Irving, alienated huge numbers of black people for something that was uh, uh, at best insignificant. I'm talking about Kyrie- Kyrie I I, I agree, I
0: don't don't recommend the ADL, but look, you like to talk in categories. Yes, uh, I do. And uh, you're talking in, I think, what is a weaponized category of anti-Judaism, but putting that aside, the the point is that by focusing on the liberal Jews as being the problem, I think you're actually playing into the hands of what actually is the broader category. Now, I, I know that the word communism is outdated, and I think every generation has had a different word for it. But I think that today, the more significant category is this sort of internationalist oligarchy movement you know, as, as exemplified by the World Economic Forum and Davos and the you know, transhumanism, and, uh, you, you know, kind of the people that were behind the mechanisms around the pandemic and the election steal, and a lot of other things that we can't even discuss <laughs> because of the censorship. But the point I'm making here is that to try to focus this as a Jewish thing. Sure, there were Jews involved at big levels, including Harari. I mean, I'll grant you, but it's not a Jewish thing. It is a philosophical thing and it is a political thing that has both Jews and non-Jews and others involved in it. And by trying to make this into a Jewish thing, it actually, I think, plays into the hands of these internationalist, globalist, illuminated cliques that are trying to stage manage and and socially direct the entire world. Well, uh, you're talking as if there's no Jewish participation
1: in this oligarchy. There is participation. The I Jewish- Mr. Mr. Borla was there at the World Economic Forum, he's the head of Pfizer. If we look into uh, the Jewish participation in medicine and that that whole thing in COVID, uh, it, it's it's significant. But I mean, mm-hmm. the point the point that I'm trying that I've said before. Take something that was uh, like Bolshevism. Uh, Bolshevism was a Jewish messianic political revolutionary movement. I reject, movement. That. I reject the, Ju- that. the Jewish the Jewish participation in Bolshevism was overwhelming. Without Jewish participation, it could not have acce- succeeded. That's, that's that that that's, that uh, makes that's, un- that's
0: undeniable. Michael, now, it's, you and I that, get that, into this this kind of this talk every time we. Get to get a show. Well, let's resolve
1: of, it then. Let's resolve. Oh, all right, it but i just it's
0: sort of a strange game of poker. Whereas you'll say, "Well, this guy's a Jew and that guy's a Jew," and then I'll come back to you and say, "Well, I've I, well, I'll see your Jew and I'll raise you two Protestants and a Catholic." I mean, right. you know, we're, well, let's we're resolve it about, then. I mean, and I, I, I could to resolve but, it. Let's resolve. I, mean, it. I, I just don't think that it's really a, a, the way to a, a road. It's not the proper lane to go down because we can name just as many. Jews and Catholics and Protestants that are involved in this movement, and that it is anti-Catholic and anti-Jewish. And by the way, on the issue of abortion, the main advocate for abortion in Boston, and his name escapes me right now, but I remember you know, growing up in Boston, he was a Lutheran and he was promoted by the Boston Globe constantly, which, by the way, is both anti-Jewish and anti-Catholic, still is. And that he brought a case before the Supreme Court that paved the way for Roe versus Wade. So you know you have non-Jews involved, you got Jews involved.
1: I do You're saying there's all no terrorists. category. You're, all denying, you're, you're denying all- the category that there is a category called the Jews. Because as soon as I use the category, you come up with an exception and say, well, we'll look at uh, Felix Dzerzhinsky. He wasn't a Jew. And so, therefore, there is no category. That's not true. No, I didn't, I didn't there's say there's not extension. a category of Jews. Well, then, then how can we... I'm saying that a there's a
0: category of Jews that has a portion of it, which has been corrupted by this amoral, satanic atheism in the same way that it's corrupted uh, yeah, Christian they're the dominant group. And, and everyone else. They're the oh, ones right. who are in sure. charge. They're I know. I, I, kind charge. Of, I, I kind of grant you that, uh, Dr. Okay, good. Good. You're right. right the media you know of
1: the good. We
0: do. And, and I think that, but that doesn't express Judaism itself. It expresses Look, the realities of I've what's only- going on in politics today. And I can speak to this in a way that's more direct than you can, because I've had problems w- w- with, the, with, with the people who happen to be Jewish and who are part of that. It is a huge problem and it is something that needs to be overcome. They do not Represent the Jewish covenant between God and Abraham. I they agree with that. I'm God. agreeing with you. I never Absolutely. said they
1: did. I never said. Obviously, well, they, the they are. To get back they, to wait. The they are obviously. They are obviously in rebellion against the Torah, the Word of God. Yes. Obviously, we agree on that. Against Jews, but doesn't matter whether you call it Judaism or not. This is the dominant group right now that is causing all the problems in our yes. culture.
0: No, they're not the dominant group. I think that they're actually junior players when you take a look at it. Oftentimes, they're the big names that are out front, but the real players. Let's take actually are abortion. Not. Are they the dominant group promoting abortion now? Yes or no? I'd have to say probably, and Good. I would again say it's Good. not promoting abortion; it's promoting abortion rights. We don't want to go. I don't want to quibble that. Um, but but look, I mean, the dominant group. Is neither Jewish or Christian. It's this atheistic, amorphous entity that that really is responsible since World War One. I. I mean, going back, it's not a Centralizing the world. It's not. Look, let me. I, I trace it back to part, the Rhodes and the British Roundtable. Let,
1: let me talk. Let me talk to you from a Catholic perspective, since that's what I am. Yes, Archbishop Chaput, uh wrote an article in First Things. First Things was founded by Richard John Newhouse. It's pretty much a Jewish magazine now because of the funding. But anyway, he writes a story about it all went wrong when uh, you had no more school prayer in public schools. And then he says, okay. now, who was responsible for this? Now, this is remember, this is the Archbishop of Philadelphia. And he says it was secularizing activists. But what does that mean?
0: Madeline let's, Mario let's, Hare.
1: Let's let's now no no wait a minute. We're talking about school prayer. It's Shemp versus Abington School Board. That was a Jewish operation from beginning to end. It was the Jews who drove prayer out of school. And this it was Leo Pfeffer who was the lawyer. It was sponsored by the AJC. And now you got the head of the Catholic Church in Philadelphia, can't say the word. And so it's secularizing act. He will never he will never get and to the bottom of what
0: happened. We're going back to the poker game because I interviewed Madeline Mario here's son, who wrote a book about this, and who's a devout Christian, by the way, and he shows how his mother and the organization behind her were able to bring the Supreme Court case uh, Engel's versus Vitali, which undid Jewish, which uh, Jewish, which undid prayer in schools in 1962. So you know, yeah, there were Jews Shemp, involved with this, Shemp, and Jews. Well, are you ignoring Shemp versus Abington School Board? That was the first school prayer decision, and it was Jews who did it, it. I think it was Vitali Angles uh, versus Vitali, nineteen sixty-two, but we—I could be wrong about that. Anyways, um, Mike, we're sort of reaching toward the end of the program.
1: Uh, well, let me say see, that I th- this is real Catholic-Jewish dialogue, as opposed to the bullshit that. I, I'm sorry, but the Pope ended his life uh, shadow boxing. And uh, and that that dialogue, I've written an article about it. It's in the next issue of Culture Wars uh, about uh, the dialogue between Ratzinger and Rabbi Folger of uh, Vienna. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was embarrassing. It was a colossal waste of time. And uh, I think that needs to be replaced by real discussions
0: like the one we're having. So thank you for having Okay, the And I think that it was an act of God. Anyways, uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, let uh, my listeners know where they can get your books and, and information.
1: Go to culturewars.com. You can get the Jewish, buy the Jewish revolutionary spirit there. Uh, all my books are available at culturewars.com. You can also subscribe to culture wars magazine and uh, read that Uh, article uh, called, uh, it's called Ratzinger and the Judenzaal. Mm
0: The
1: Judenzaal.
0: Okay. And I know that you're working on a book about the Holocaust. So I'm going to have to uh, gird my loins and sally forth and talk to you about that at some point. Right.
1: I'll send you, uh, as soon as I have a copy, I'll send you a review copy and we can discuss it.
0: All right. Thanks a lot, Michael. I appreciate you joining me today. You're welcome. Be well. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks so much uh, for joining me. I've got Seth Keschel coming on tomorrow at 3 p.m. And I shall return, God willing, at that time. Thank you for joining me, everyone, and have a great afternoon.